Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shoot, Mark and Sarah talk about. Shoot, Mark and Sarah talk about. Shoot, Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Oh, hello and welcome to another season of Mark and Sarah talk about songs. I'm your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and I am joined by the splendiferous, award-winning, Grammy-nominated Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Now, Hello. I do want to clarify that when I say Grammy nominated with regard to you, I mean my grandmother nominated you to receive an extra batch of homemade pecan sandies this year. Oh, my God. God bless your Grammy. And um, yes, I was nominated in the category of promptest thank you note where I have won <laughs> 47 years in a row. I mean, y'all not even kidding. That would be true. And there will be an adorable hedgehog sticker on the back of that note. <laughs> but when I talk about the other kind of Grammy, meaning the music award, that brings me to the title of this season. This season is called Record of the Year Showdown. Oh, boy. Um, this is a really fitting season for us to be doing for so many reasons. But in my heart, um, the history of this here podcast begins with me sitting in uh, Corzo on Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, RIP, this restaurant, which recently closed, and sort of staring dully at the Grammys <laughs> and being like, I hope that Mark Blankenship is watching these right now. And then we had a whole phone call talking about the Grammys the next day. And then this podcast was born. And as of this recording, there are 64 winners for the Record of the Year Grammys. Which means that this season is kind of like March Mastis seasons that we've done before in that it is a tournament of sorts and there are rounds of 64 songs, 32 songs, so on and so on. But in order to preserve our paper-thin sanity, <laughs> especially in the early rounds, <laughs> as well as to preserve like still having things to say about the dominant songs as we go through the list, we have streamlined the selection process a little bit. We do have brackets of a sort. They are chronological. So the first 16 songs to win Grammy of the Year make up the first bracket of 16, etc., etc. But we are not going to be doing quote-unquote seeds in this tournament, and we are not ranking things on an individual basis the way that we usually do. To get through a round in this tournament, you'll just need to be in the top half of vote getters. So in the first section, the round of 64, which we're starting the first bracket of the round of 64 today, the top eight vote getters will be the ones that move on. It'll be like that for all four brackets. Um, I think that you probably are smart enough to get what I'm getting at, but uh, we just <laughs> wanted to try to simplify it somewhat. Yeah. Um, this is also a good time to inform you of a couple of things. The first being, if you're like, vote getters, I didn't get a chance to vote on that. Um, that could be because you are not a Patreon supporter. We are at patreon.com slash mastass, and this is the best place to stay informed about our crazy schemes, not least this one. Voting already actually started for the season like a month ago as you're listening to this, so if you don't want to miss out on future rounds of voting on this and every other damn thing that pops into our fool heads, become a <laughs> Patreon today, get years of extra content, and 
you'll get what we're proudest of, frankly, which is the Mass community. Um, our Discord is fun. There's trivia games happening on there right now. Your fellow listeners are the poo. Take a big whiff. Uh, if you want to participate in this gramocracy, you will need a Patreon membership. So get on over there once again, patreon.com slash Mass We'd love to have you. And the second thing is how exactly mathematically we're going to figure out who's moving on if we're not ranking songs the way we usually do. And it's pretty simple. If a song is in the top half of its bracket, it will get two points. Songs in the bottom half get zero points. Goose egg points. Kinda points. (laughs) I will split up my list. Sarah will split up her list. And we will use the listener slash patron votes to split up their list. And any song that exits all of that with enough points to be in the overall top half will move on. And in the event of ties, well... Either the borderline song moves on and we'll make a cut further down the line in a future round, or we, your hosts, will make a game time decision. But, you know, let's jump off that bridge over troubled water when we get to it. Honestly, our decision making in that regard can't be any more confusing and outright bizarre (laughs) than some of the Grammys decisions in a lot of these years. So, yeah, let's just see where we're at if we haven't completely lost our minds. Anyway, um, this is a whole lot of talking before we've even gotten to talk about any actual songs. So let us move on. But remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at TalkSongs, or you can email us, songs at Gmail. If any of this is confusing, I'm not totally sure we can help you, but we will try. And again, become a Patreon supporter and come fact check us on the Discord. We love that. Uh, we don't actually love that, but we love you. And we love talking about songs. So let's do that. Mark. Okay. Are you ready to begin this fabulous journey I am, in Italy? I am. Now, I want you all to cast your minds back to the spring of 1959 when the very first Grammy Award ceremony was held and the very first Grammy for Record of the Year and, as it happens, Song of the Year were both handed to the song Volare by Italy's own Domenico Modugno. It is the so far only Italian language song to reach number one on the Hot 100 here in the United States. It was a massive hit. Um, I We're about to hear a clip. Sarah, I think it's fair to say that even though it was a massive hit in 1959, it doesn't sound like it could be a massive hit now. <laughs> no, no. It sounds like a cut scene from like a... The musical Goodfellas that was being staged by the deli down the street for me. (laughs) I actually think one of my notes on this song is this is like the temp music from the Godfather wedding scene. Like, and then they were like, no, this is this is cheesy. We've got to get something better. Get somebody else with an accordion out of here over here. This one Eurovision it's here I read yes so it it it, it just it, well, I think it got like third place in Eurovision of its year it won the Italian mm, con- but right it's one of the biggest Eurovision adjacent songs of all time right up there with Waterloo uh yeah like Domenico man and he never had another hit in America which isn't that surprising he only sang in Italian but if you go to the YouTube videos for volare 
and look at the comments. They're actually very charming. It's a bunch of people in their 70s from New York being like, I remember when my mother used to play this. We would hang out the window and she'd say it was time for supper. And we'd say, Ma, and she'd say, quit with the stick ball. You got to come in here and eat your pasta. It was, oh my God. It's like really, this song really does conjure up images of a faded, for me at least, New York past that I never even uh-huh. saw. Yep. Um, yeah, the, uh, the aluminum, um, the aluminum, uh, what do you call it? Like the, uh, not a balcony. You know what I'm talking the about. Fire the fire escape? No. Yeah, yeah, no, or yeah, like the fire escape and stick ball and, um, cars with fins and, uh, moms and housecoats who listen to Mario Lanza. But, um, <laughs> without further ado, shall we? Here's a clip of our very first ever record of the year winner, Valare. E incominciavo a volare nel cielo infinito volare oh cantare oh nel blu dipinto di blu I, I I can't help myself, Sarah. I will say this song is not in my top eight, but I do have affection for it. I expected this to be, first of all, I didn't realize I knew this song. Second of all, it has been adapted by my household. And now anything that scans even close, Dan and I are singing. Um, so like, as we record this, the speaker of the house vote is in like its 217th iteration. And Steve Kornacki is on MSNBC and we're singing Kornacki. Whoa. And the dog is super upset because neither of us have particularly good singing voices. Um, but I did not expect this to end up in my top eight but there were songs that i um was actively angry at so this is number eight but it squeaked in there yeah gets two points for me i love it now it's not in the listeners top eight either which means it is on the board however with two points which is going to be more than some of these songs are going to be able to say for themselves (laughs) I I think you're right. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out here. I did mention that this song won the Grammy for both record and song of the year. And for those of you who do not live with Grammy trivia in your minds, let me explain. Record of the year is an award that goes to the performer and the producer. And song of the year is the award that goes to the songwriter. So that is the distinction that's being made here. Well, um he'll always be first um and i i do think that this is like a quintessentially late 50s yes number that like my first note was like how did anyone get laid in eisenhower's america this is like crazy and the other nominees i you know fever by peggy lee i feel like probably should have won Oh my god. This, yes. But it didn't. You know what else was nominated for a Grammy? <laughs> the Chipmunk The Chipmunk song. song. <laughs> Fucking the song where Alvin wants a hula hoop. The 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 the, the quote unquote wise members of the National Recording National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences said, "Yes, that song." Yes. I 
I mean, there is a reason that I've never asked you to do a um, song chart reading for my husband, and it's because that bullshit was number one the day he was born. <laughs> and it, it really explains so much about the course of, of his life. <laughs> but anyway, okay, Valare, like, we, we see you, and um, some of us wouldn't mind hearing you again. Now, Who's next? to keep things confusing, you might remember I said that this was May of 59. Well, Sarah, they had two Grammy ceremonies in 1959. So even though Domenico won in May, they gave another award for record of the year in November of 59. <laughs> what the fuck? So sure. not six months later, the new record of the year was a song that has been featured on our show with a full episode. And that is Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife. Now, I did not pull a clip of this song because we did do a whole episode on it. And I will say, Sarah, if I may toot our own horns, it's one of the all-time best episodes of this show was our Mac the Knife episode. Um, Well, Sarah, I don't know about you, but for me, this song remains a hot fucking hit. I love it so much. I love the fact that a song by Brecht and Vile reached number one in the United States. It was a massive hit in this country. Bobby Darren's performance is timeless. It is. I was reading about it a little bit in preparation for this episode, and it was talking about all of the ways that he keeps changing the key subtly throughout the whole song. And it really does add a sense of dynamism to the performance. And he just seems like he's having such a good time. He's making all these little yelps and squeaks. And there's a an effortless cool to this vocal that I love. And then the song itself is a vicious, nasty murder ballad that's as violent as any gangster rap song. And uh, it was a huge hit. And manages somehow to be both incredibly violent but also pleasingly nostalgic so absolutely for me this is in my top eight for this group i like listening to you talk about mac the knife way more than i like mac the knife um this is not even my favorite bobby darren i'm a beyond the sea gal um listening to this performance again I'm not sure this is how I felt about it in uh, our previous full-length episode, but I admire the um, I admire the uh, ambition mm-hmm. more than I like the um, the execution, and I I kind of don't agree that it's effortless either. This feels a little show-offy to me. Um, I don't hate the song. I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Like, I feel like for me, this is one of those songs that like you can only hear it for the first time once. And after that, you're like, uh-huh, I got it. <laughs> um, so I don't, again, don't hate it, but it was not in the top half huh. for me. I like that, though. In this group. As Fleetwood Mac taught us, you have to go your own way. I do. We'll see. What did the what did the voters do it, with it? It was in their top half as well. So that's going to be four points on the board for Mackie's back in town. All right. I, I do Fair think enough. it's worth noting. I kind of like the idea that we can talk about the other nominees that year. Um, Elvis Presley was nominated for A Fool Such As I. And this is a good time to point out that Elvis is one of the many very famous musicians who has never won Record of the Year. And I just want to stress, listeners, we're not going to stand up here and defend Record of the Year as a document of the best of music because... No. As you're going to hear in this no. episode, if you, seriously, Sarah, if you listened to 
only songs that won record of the year, you would think the 60s were the most snoozy decade of all time. You wouldn't know rock music had happened. You wouldn't no. like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin, any of Motown. None of it. None of it represented. No. And that's what the Grammys wanted was to keep teenage girls and their fiery underpants out of out of mind. Yes. Out of sight out of mind. Well, and it's like test. There's it proven by the fact that fucking Frank Sinatra got nominated for this award like fifty thousand times, including in and yeah, including in the one that he won. We will get there. Uh, but he was nominated in both of the fifty nine ceremonies. Um, and it's the the general rule of thumb with record of the year and really all of these major Grammy categories is. If you are an artist who either was popular 20 years ago or makes music that sounds like it was popular 20 years ago, you have a better chance of winning. Yeah. Or like this is a palatable war baby slash boomer packaging of whatever it is. I think in this case, um, I mean, I don't know, like Elvis Presley, I think, won no Grammys except for gospel shit. Yeah, that's correct. Right. So, I, I mean, as with any cultural awards there's um like every now and then they get it right sometimes by accident (laughs) but like you know 80 percent of the time in retrospect you're like please share your drugs because (laughs) or start taking some and get with the fucking program late 60s but we we're barely in the 60s we gotta we gotta move on right okay so they had an award ceremony in 1950 in november of 59 then it was 1961 until they had another one 1960 erased the (laughs) the nominees that year include such well-remembered and beloved songs as Elvis's Are You Lonesome Tonight, Ray Charles' Georgia On My Mind, of course, Frank Sinatra's there with something called Nice and Easy, Ella Fitzgerald's mm-hmm. version of Mac the Knife was nominated, mm-hmm. which is unusual. Um, but the winner is the instrumental Theme from a Summer Place by Percy Faith. Look, <laughs> I... <laughs> there is no goddamned way... It should have beaten any of the like, and I am well sick of Georgia on my mind. Um, but that's that doesn't take away from the fact that it is a superior song. With that said, I love the theme from a summer place. I associate it really strongly with um, the, watching the movie Diner approximately mm. one gazillion times. Um, this is absolutely emblematic of every problem with these awards that we've talked about, but it's still wound up in my top half. I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. This song was actually a massive hit in its day. It is the longest running instrumental number one in the history of the Hot 100. Like, it was a massive hit, and I actually associate it with the time that I wrote about the movie A Summer Place for Tomato Nation, if you remember that. Oh, yeah! I recently helped myself to a reread of that particular piece, and God, I really enjoyed writing about it. I I remember that very fondly. That was great. So it's like you can almost feel the voters being like, okay, 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 I have to vote for something that makes me feel less old. So... If there's a hit from today that sounds like something that was popular when I was in short pants, I'm voting for that. Like I, I, I can argue that I'm cool, but I don't actually have to be. Anyway, Sarah, the point is I am also my own grandpa. This is also in my top eight. 
I don't. Oh, uh, Grampy. I know. Hey, do you want a Werther's? <laughs> do I? <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't say no. Um, I, I would neither. <laughs> when I was preparing for this or giving these songs one last listen last night, I really was surprised at how happy I was when theme from a summer when theme from a summer place came on. I really was delighted that it was time to listen to it again, and I thought, well, you know what? Fuck it, then. That means it's in there for me. And I I think it does exist on some level in like the cultural DNA that you hear those like um, harp esque string cuts at the beginning, yeah. and like. I feel like 15 year olds even are like, oh, I know what's coming and you might not like it, but you know it. Yeah. And there's something to be said for things that um, were crafted to endure, even though that what was crafted was a rocker <laughs> um, covered in cobwebs. But yeah, it's in my top half. I, I can only be who I am. Now, it's not in the listener's top half, but uh, I don't care. I'm glad that it's in our top halves. And that means four points for yield uh, summer place theme. Mm-hmm. Now, next, we have Henry Mancini getting the award for Moon River, a song that was written for the movie uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and performed in the movie by Audrey Hepburn, but performed in the nominated and therefore winning version by Andy Williams. But all of that is moot because only Henry Mancini, who conducts the orchestra and co-wrote the song, got the award. Again, the Grammys are fucking crazy. But before we go any further, I did pull a clip of the Andy Williams performance of Moon River. To drifters off to see the world There's such a lot of world Okay, um, am I the only one, listeners, who was introduced to this song via the Born on the Fourth of July soundtrack? Because that is what occurred. Um, And I have actually loved it ever since. Um, It evokes a time for me that I have no way of remembering, but can sort of sense in all its pale blue organza non-glory. But for Take 5 by Dave Brubeck to lose to this is unconscionable in my my opinion. Like, I love Moon River, but that's... That that's some bullshit. Like Take Five is an all timer, and Andy Williams's performance in particular is just sopping wet. Um, I will say that uh, when my brother was a little boy and used to sleep sort of like on his chest with his butt up in the air, um, when my mother and I would like go in to try to get him out of bed, we would always sing Moon River. Oh, um, cute. T- to him because um his you know ass up i mean he had pajamas on but you know we we thought we were funny and and he's used to sing about butts in uh in my house <laughs> um the indefensibility of this award notwithstanding it is in my top half okay see it's definitely in my top half as well because i find this song so beautiful it is the the perfect evocation of wistfulness yeah, I agree. 
And I know that we've talked about this song somewhere in the 9,000 years we've been doing this show because it was an Oscar winner. I have no, that's all, I, I vaguely remember that. Point yeah. being, I love it. I think that I actually agree with you that Andy Williams is just larding it on, but I also find it very moving. <laughs> just, yeah. But to I me, I mean, I um, was once in an emergency room in Vermont um, where they ha- were playing like the best of the Andy Williams show in the waiting room. Okay. Um, And it was, uh, like me waiting for my then boyfriend and this guy waiting for his girlfriend who um, her hand was literally frozen to the neck of a guitar. Oh, shit. So that was happening. And so I'd sort of associate all Andy Williams with that. <laughs> very strange, um, very strange day, like 25 years ago. But I mean, Moon River is sort of unabashedly sentimental and in in that way i think the sentiment works for it like you just have to lean in and that's what williams does that's exactly right and to me the ultimate version of this song of course is the one performed by judy garland on the live at carnegie hall album oh yeah holy shit but that being said she you can't get that kind of performance out of a song that isn't great and this song is great this version is solid it's in my top eight it's in your top eight and it's in the listeners top eight it's our first it's our first song to get a perfect score oh i love it now i hope you're not hoping there will be a perfect score for tony bennett's i left my heart in san francisco because i would be more than happy to kick this song into the garbage disposal of history and let its chewed up remains get washed out into the polluted sea. I, my mother loved this song because she was an army brat and um, she, that was her favorite posting of my grandfather's was on the Presidio in San Francisco. And, uh, but I don't think I'd ever heard this song all the way through before. Actually, I'd heard her hum it many times. Um, if we had been ranking these 1 to 16, this would be my 16. Yeah. It's so fucking boring. It's a waste of Tony Bennett's in- instrument. I feel, even as he's singing, like he knows this is going to become his signature song, and he's not psyched about it. Yeah, why? Why is this soporific shit his signature song? I just do not get it. This, I mean, this is like if you just punched Johnny Mathis in the face like 18 times in a row and we're like, um, sing about the Bay Area. Like, I just don't, I'm not about it at all. And meanwhile, they nominated I Can't Stop Loving You by Ray Charles. And that I, is a great fucking you. song. Yeah, it is. And what kind of fool am I? Like Sammy Davis's um, vocalizations aren't always my thing. Um, but it's better than this. Desafinado is good. Um, th- like Bossa Nova, whatever. A- any of these other songs I would have been happier with. Yeah. Well, than Tony, may he, you know, we love may he him, continue to flourish, but we don't ever need to hear this song again. The listeners agreed. It is not in their top eight either. That's a big fat goose egg for Tony. Oh, B. is that our first one? It is our All first right. non point getter. All right. But I think we may be at our second one now because <laughs> next up is repeat winner. First time that this award went to the same person twice. It's Henry Mancini back again 
With, I think, the instrumental version of Days and Wine and Roses, it's actually very hard to figure out what they were voting for with Days of Wine and Roses. Because there's an instrumental, there's a version with lyrics. Either way, Sarah, I think this song is just a nothing burger. It's like, I, it's, I, I can't even remember it as I'm listening to it. Ugh. I could not sing it to you. And I like re-listened to it earlier today to refresh my memory and make sure I still um, found it uh, utterly boring. And apparently I do. I This sounds like a track that Mad Men would have used over the credits <laughs> right after a hangover montage to yes. close the episode. Like it's just... Um, it just feels, given when the award was given out, which was 1964, it just feels like this effort to um, hold certain cultural anxieties following the JFK assassination at arm's length. Yes. Because, um, the, like, these nominees, the singing nun is nominated. Dominique. Happy Days Are Here Again, like Barbara Bless. Um, a better Tony Bennett song, Wives and Lovers, which is a weird song that feels like someone at uh, Naras was like, eh, that's that's kind of forward, isn't it? Like, is it? This was a distressing year all around. And um, I guess this is the best of the lot, but it's so boring. And so, yeah, bottom half. I promise me. I won't take us down this road every single time. But I just want to point out that in 1964, or um, I'm sorry, the, the 1964 awards were being given out for songs that were released basically in 1963. So I Will Follow Him by Little Peggy March. It's My Party by Leslie Gore. Mm-hmm. Um my Boyfriend's Back by The Angels. Like, any of these songs could also have been nominated, but instead they went with The Singing Nun and Days of Wine and Roses. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, they did. So that's How also... How the a, listeners feel about it. They goose also egg. gave it the goose egg, so... Fuck yeah. Bye, bitch. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have a clip of the next song. This is um, The Girl from Ipanema by Stan Getz with... Uh, singing by Astrid Gilberto, who was the wife of Joao Gilberto. And uh, this is the kind of song that, talk about Mad Men, it's just, I feel like it's in every single television show, movie, commercial that wants to indicate a certain type of early 60s cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, you open my parents' wedding album, and th- there should be one of those little <laughs> chips that plays this, honestly. <laughs> well, here's a clip. I mean, this track is a parody of itself at this point. Yes. I would say, like, I don't have anything against it, but I don't have anything 
for it either. And given that the competition included Petula Clark's downtown and the Beatles, like the Beatles are right there. Yeah. Like they're right there. They even nominated. I want to hold your hand. They didn't ignore the Beatles. They nominated the fucking song and they were still like, because yeah, because some fucking Wasserman glasses wearing cigar chomper at the Academy was like, they're not talking about hands, Doris. And then <laughs> this is what you end up with. Like, <sighs> And I also okay. want to point out that the other two nominees, even though they're fogey-ish, would have been better, which is Louis Armstrong's version of Hello, Dolly, mm-hmm. which is the song that kicked the Beatles out of number one after they had four consecutive number one hits or three. I should say maybe four. I can't remember. Anyway, and Barbara Streisand's "People," like those are those songs. At least have a little oomph. This is this song is just it is just designed to be in the background of a Howard Johnson's. Yeah, like you, you know, wait a couple beats and then rinse, please. Like <laughs> no, just just no. Um, it was cl- it was in the conversation, but eventually it did fall out of my top half. I'm. I'm sorry to say. Well, it was never in the conversation for me. I just, I find this song, it's like, I don't know why, but it's just, I can't, I struggle to get through it. Not as much as I struggle with some songs that are coming up, but it was not in my top (laughs) Mm -hmm. half. However, it was in the top half for the listeners. So it is on the board with two points. Thanks to the listener votes. Okay. Uh, Well, um, (laughs) okay. Now in 1966, one of the nominated songs was Yesterday by the Beatles, one of, I would think, inarguably the most beloved pop songs of all time. Also nominated, mm-hmm. Roger Miller's clever country classic King of the Road. Mm-hmm. But the winner was the theme song from a movie based on a play by a woman named Sheila Delaney, A Taste of Honey. What is this shit? Uh, uh- I had never heard of this. I still could not pick it out of a lineup, even if it had a sign on it. Um, I feel like I'm an extra in an elevator on an episode of The Odd Couple. Pass. I just feel like at this point, this is where we're in the 60s getting parodies of nominees. Because, again, Motown was in full swing in 1966. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, yeah, but this is what you're nominating. Tony Bennett this... got nominated for the shadow of your goddamn smile. No, I mean the Ramsey Lewis trio. Like I don't dislike that song, but and even the Beatles, the nomination from the Beatles is fairly um, gentle. Yeah, and you know Kendall genitals. Like uh, my first note on this song is this is where. The Academy really seems to have departed touch with life as it was being lived in America. <laughs> because, Yeah, it, what, it, you really get the sense that this is a bunch of old people clinging fiercely to the past and trying mm-hmm. to, like you said earlier, create a bulwark against these uh, rebellious kids and their mop yeah. tops. Yeah, and they're, you know like feedbacky guitars like there's just there's no excuse um needless to say this was not in my top half no it was not in mine nor was it in the listeners i'm guessing that none of us who voted could sing you a single note of it right now Mm-mm. and don't ask me 
Um, now, famously, when he first heard Strangers in the Night, the Grammy winner for Record of the Year in 67, Frank Sinatra didn't like it. Uh, hmm. But he recorded it, and it became one of his signature songs, I would say, certainly. And it became a surprise number one hit for him, which in this era, he also had another number one hit with Nancy Sinatra, the rather uncomfortable father-daughter love duet, Something Stupid. But... Um, Strangers in the Night was a number one hit for Frank Sinatra, and it did win the Grammy. It beat Monday Monday by the Mamas and the Papas, which is probably the most remembered of these songs. But uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Strangers in the Night, it's been in some beer commercials. Like, you still hear it. I I, I know this song. Uh, I hate this song. Uh, <laughs> and look, I like Sinatra generally, but this kind of cheap, scotchy got talked into doing it um like i get why it won because again i feel like we're in um let's reward artists who shave their armpits and don't blow pot (laughs) um and so in that way it feels desperately zeitgeisty for a certain segment of the population um but it just feels also like a cynical try by Sinatra's team for something mm-hmm. that he perhaps was um, reluctant to admit that he even wanted. Um, and like this was the original like teen idol, Bobby Soxer, basically. So I, I don't know. Like I just... Like, the more I hear about Frank Sinatra as a person, the less I enjoy enjoying his right. grandpa-y stylings. But, like, there are so many better songs and performances of his that feel a little more, like, I don't know, just a little less like he is keeping an eye on you at table three. And if you're not completely <laughs> ensorcelled by the performance, he's going to have the air let out of your tires by joey bishop i if we had ranked these it would have been 15th i i actively dislike it it's not as bad as um my way but it's down there nope (laughs) listen just because i can sing you the the melody of the chorus doesn't mean i'm into it like this song can kick a rock and i hope the rock gets stuck up in its hairline i'm not i hope the rock kicks back what did the listeners do they also gave it the goose egg no kidding. No. Good thing he's already dead. Good for y'all. <laughs> He'd be after us all after he got through attacking Sinead O'Connor. Um, okay, so next, the, the following year, 68, he did get nominated for uh, Record of the Year again for Something Stupid, the unfortunate duet with Nancy Sinatra. Mm. But this year, uh, Sarah, we also had nominated Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry, which is just, I would say, like an undeniably excellent song. Yeah, um, and I think we have talked about that one. As we well. did in the same episode that we talked about 1969 nominee Harper Valley PTA by Janie C. Riley. Yes, yes, we did. Um, and then also nominated that year was Glenn Campbell's By the Time I Get to Phoenix, written by Jimmy Webb, who also wrote um, MacArthur Park and who wrote Up, Up, and Away by The Fifth Dimension, the song that did win. And Sarah, here's what I'm going to say I cannot get to the end of this song i have tried the i've tried four times to get to the end and i cannot do it the fucking 
like helium voiced harmonies are so unbearable to me that I I have literally sat there saying to myself, you can do it. It's not even four minutes long. And the answer is no, I can't. Because even those 15 seconds that I spare myself, the song is only two minutes and 43 seconds long. I cannot do it. I cannot even get the no. I hate it so much. And it is literally a song about flying around in a goddamn hot air balloon. There's not a metaphor it's there. There's no metaphor. So corny. Uh-huh. It's so corny. And I went to arts camp in the summer of, I'm going to say 1983 or four. And one of my um, sections was, I was in the chorus and the um, chorus director at this camp had us singing at the end of the camp. Um, this, The Rose by Bette Midler, <laughs> and um, Seasons in the Sun. Okay, so Terry Jacks, sure. wherever that chorus director is, um, they need to retroactively calm down. I know it was 40 years ago, but Jesus Christ. Um, this is in my top half. <laughs> oh, shit! I am very ashamed i don't think it should have won um i i mean i don't think something stupid should have won either and if it um served as a prophylactic against that extremely creepola outcome fine this is absolutely once again bulwark city and the academy is the mayor because this is what someone thought of as like your clueless spinster auntie's idea of a quote 60s quote acid song yes. like this is fun face paint am i i'm i'm doing a summer of love like okay and phyllis like it's it's again indefensible and it wasn't like at the top of my top half but it was <laughs> sorry buddy <laughs> well here's the thing that's okay here's here's the thing if you ever want to listen to it, and let's say that we're in a car, for instance, I'll just jump out and roll down the highway. <laughs> Tuck and roll. Yeah. I will come to a complete stop before the <laughs> fifth dimension section of the in the car playlist. I feel like our relationship has uh, has earned you that. Well, and you know, courtesy. It, it's so interesting to me that it is the fifth dimension because they have other songs like uh, Wedding Bell Blues, for instance, was a huge hit for them. Great mm-hmm. song. Marilyn McCoo, lovely voice. Um, she's one of the singers in Fifth Dimension. But this song, bleh. it is also worth noting. Um, I don't know if it's either here or there, but uh, yeah, Up, Up and Away by the Fifth Dimension is the first song performed by a black artist to win the Grammy for Record of the Year. And it's this. What and a it's shame. this, I know. And yet this song did reach number seven on the Hot 100, which means that there were some people who stayed in the car when it came on the radio. Mm-hmm. Now... To cl- to I, oh oh so I didn't put it in my top half and neither did the listeners but you did get it on the board with two. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And, and listen, advance. I'm not I'm not mad. I'm not mad. We all have to have our journey. But um, mm-hmm. next though, in 1969, the Grammys finally got something approaching a fucking clue. I would say, <laughs> because that year they had the good sense to nominate "Hey Jude" by the Beatles. Harper Valley PTA, aforementioned by Janie C. Riley, Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell, and then Ugh. Honey by Bobby Goldsboro, which is a schmaltzy song, but whatever. But then the winner was the actually excellent song, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. 
Here's a clip. We like to know a little bit about your four or five. We like to help you learn to help yourself. Look around you all, you see our sympathetic eyes. Stroll around the grounds until you feel at home. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you. I think, Sarah, it says something about what this season is going to do to me that I'm actually kind of angry that a good song won because I'm like, well, fucking finally. (laughs) Yeah, but also like there are definitely years where it's like, well, it's like picking a, you know, a less disgusting chunk out of the the vomit. (laughs) It's like, well, these are all pretty, pretty gross. Um, I'm not convinced that this was even the right one to win but at least it is good it was extremely zeitgeisty it had something to do with american culture as it was understood by civilians (laughs) at that exact moment yeah for real and um like i know every word of course i do so of course this is in my top half oh my i mean i gotta hide it in my cabinet with my cupcakes what are you talking about mm-hmm. uh yes this is in my top half. it's in my top half it's in your top half it's in the listener's top half no surprise because honestly this song is a delight it is a it epitomizes a lot of what's so great about simon and garfunkel and you know, The Graduate obviously is a movie that really tapped into what it was like to be a young person in America at that point. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, this was conversant with what was happening in the culture at the time. And um, yeah, like I'm always, always going to be happy to hear this song. It's just so pleasing. Mm, it is. They're they're good at the shit. Now, 1970, back, back, back again. It's the fifth <laughs> dimension again. Winning for their cover of Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In, which is a medley of two songs from the musical Hair. Now, Sarah, may I regale you with some chart facts? Um, Yes, please do. Their version of Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In reached number one. It is one of four top four songs that were taken from the musical Hair. Hair is the mm-hmm. only Broadway show to spin off four top 10 hits the others were the song hair which reached number two for the cow sills the song um uh at number three it was good morning starshine as covered oh, sure. as covered the by says hello. the gloobie glabby gleeby gleeby glabby gloobie glue glue blah 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 as covered by a winsome chap who went only by the name oliver and at number four it was the three dog night cover of easy to be hard uh-huh. So, I, I, Hair is the last musical that, uh, until Hamilton, but even Hamilton doesn't have any top ten hits, but Hair is the last musical until Hamilton that really broke through in such a massive way, as evidenced here by these songs. And I'm not saying that... No- when was um when was Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh gosh, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing there are so many examples to prove me wrong. Jesus Christ Superstar was uh, right around this time, I think it was... 70 and obviously like dream girls had i'm telling you i am not going um chess had one night in bangkok but you know hair just was like our hair was the zeitgeist there for a minute yeah and i mean those songs aren't showing up 
in this discussion. At least they're not doing so yet. So that's fine. Yeah. And I will just add too that one of the things that is interesting to me about this um, single, because it was a number one hit for the fifth dimension, is it changed the cultural understanding of what Let the Sunshine is is about because in the show it is a song that is sung with desperation after one of the lead characters dies and so the hippies are singing let the sunshine in out of desperation they're like pleading for hope to return to their lives after one of their own has been killed in vietnam but i feel like because of this single it's become a song that we think of when we think of like a dish dishwashing detergent you know like it's a it's like well or someone losing their virginity at the age of 40 Oh, right. Right. Which, I mean, one of the best smash cuts of all time, in my opinion. We have a clip. Should we should yeah. we hear it or do you have more facts? Uh, no, those those are all my facts. Just that's a, let's listen to the clip. I resent being manipulated by a piccolo <laughs> and this, this feels like a, you know, 78th verse, same as the first, like the, the how do you do fellow kids attempt of, <laughs> of, uh, NR, NARAS to be like, um, we get it. Uh, but given the other nominees, um, blood, sweat and tears, spinning wheel, which like, it is a good song, solid build. I'm just not a fan of that lead singer most of the time. Yep. We've got fucking Mancini clattering <laughs> around with the love theme from Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Peggy Lee's like, guys, right here. And then Johnny Cash with A Boy Named Sue, which is, you know, bless his memory, but I I don't love that song. Yeah. Like, I think this was the correct choice. And also, there is something about the... um build and the chord progression of this song like i can't resist it and then in the second half just like busting out with this vocal and this call and response song i don't know i think it's a great song i think they accidentally got it right this time and it's in my top half oh it's in mine too because i agree with you i really should have i was torn about which part of the song to clip but the, the difference yeah. between the very proper vocals of Aquarius and the whale that you just described in Let the Sunshine In, yes. it's exciting. It's exciting to hear. I'm not mad at it. I'll never be mad at it. I enjoy it. It's in my it top is. And they also, actually go together. Like, yeah. Sometimes songs like this where it's like, well, we're just going to try to, like, we're not disciplined enough to get these two thoughts to cohere. So we're just going to stick these things together. Like, this actually is an extremely um, exemplary um, song for like what the 60s and what the Grammys during the 60s were like. Totally. And it is interesting. It's both the opening and the closing numbers from here. So there you go. Mm. But yeah, um, I agree with you. So do the listeners. This is another perfect six in this round. Yeah. Well, next, Sarah, we have Simon and Garfunkel returning. So that was... 
Fifth Dimension, Simon and Garfunkel. Fifth Dimension, Simon and Garfunkel. They handed it off there for a while. But this Mm -hmm. is them returning with Bridge Over Troubled Water. I did not clip this because we wept with each other as we talked about this song for like an hour last year or two years ago. Yep, yep. Um, Yeah, my... Like, I don't sort of sit with um, missing my mom uh, on a a day-to-day basis, but when I do miss her, I feel like music is often close by and uh i once again wept at this song but not in a bad way just like you know this is i'm glad that i still get to sort of be in conversation with her um through this podcast and through all the music that we talk about that she loved or would have loved um i'm getting a little misty move on Uh, um anyway (laughs) if, if we had been ranking these um Individually, this would have been my number one again. And um, it, I mean, it's so over the top and yet so perfectly controlled in all the ways that we talked about in that episode, which we will link to in the show notes. But um, yeah, that, you know, number one, top half. If we had been uh, seeding these, this would have been the number one seed in this bracket. No question, hands Mm -hmm. down. Yeah, I'm sure. Obviously, this is in the top half for everyone involved. It's a perfect six, unsurprisingly, as it should be. Next, we come to the award that was given in 1972. It's the first ever Grammy for Record of the Year that went to a solo woman. It's Carol King, and it's too late. And we do have a clip, so here we go. There's something wrong here, there can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe we just stop trying. I mean, I listened to this album a ton because I had a babysitter. Her name was Carol, but I couldn't pronounce that when I was a when I was a super baby. So I called her Corio. Mm. And uh the whole family still calls her that. She's probably 70 by now. Anyway, um Corio used to listen to my parents' records when she was sitting for me, and she loved this one. And I uh, like there are songs that I sort of fell in and out of love with as a kid and getting older and listening to this album on CD in my dormitory room. Um, but this one has really endured and it was holding off some stiff fucking competition. Yeah. In every this year. Actually, too. not a lot of clunkers in this year's nominees. Yeah. Like I, um, I, I don't love that JT joint. You've got a friend, but. I mean, I don't hate it either. I, if any of the others had won, I would have been fine with it. But this just really brought me back to, you know, being like four years old and reading like records, lyric sheets and um, d- like braiding choreos hair. I mean, late 70s, man. Good. What a time to be alive. But um, yeah, this would have been my number two. Absolutely. Like, no question. Top half for me. What is your relationship with this song? Because we considered ranking this album and then we kept looking at each other and being like, eh, do we need to? And we never did it. So talk to me. I am. This is, again, a place where our age difference really matters because I, of course, know the songs on Tapestry, but I've mm-hmm. 
I don't know that I've ever sat down and listened to the whole thing. In fact, there might be some songs on Tapestry that I don't know. But of course, I know her version of Natural Woman. Of course, I know Mm -hmm. It's Too Late. Like, Carol King is just in the groundwater. And I saw Beautiful, the Carol King musical. So uh, there we go. And I. How was that? It was great. I can't remember what you thought of that. It was the best of the jukebox musicals. It was so. Really? The the book is really good in that musical. Um, It was great. I loved it. Nice. Um, And Jesse Mueller, who won a Tony for that performance, was astonishing. Um, But yeah, and interestingly, you've got a friend that by James Taylor, also written by Carole King, nominated this Mm -hmm. year. So 72 was her year. She also won Album of the Year for Tapestry. And, you know, it was it was obviously a big thing because Carole King had had at this point almost 15 years of experience writing hits for other people like the locomotion will you love me tomorrow and then suddenly she gets to have her moment to be the artist and i think that would have been irresistible to a bunch of people in the music industry to see this very talented person get to evolve in this way and for good reason it's great now i do want to note that the uh, joy to the world by three dog night and theme from shaft by isaac hayes (laughs) and my sweet lord by george harrison all nominated pretty good songs uh so yeah but yeah, I, yeah. I do think that carol king was the right choice for this group and Agreed. i'm glad that she won and it was yes it's in my top half it's in the listener's top half that's another straight six for nice for it's too late <laughs> well sarah i'm gonna let you start with the first time ever i saw your face um the first time ever i saw your face i was um happy for you that you seem to feel so strongly about this person's face but i don't i don't get it like especially given the competition here's the thing roberta flack has a beautiful instrument that i feel for various reasons that are not consistent from song to song but i feel she is not necessarily put in a great position to succeed with grandpa buncy over here um talk about struggling to get to the end of it like this is a this is a beautiful vocal and trying to be evocative but it is just too slow um i just i don't know like that this might be the vocal of the year but when you put this against Without You by Harry Nilsson, against Alone Again by Gilbert O'Sullivan, against American Pie. Like, think what you want about those songs and those performances, but this just seems... I don't don't understand what was happening behind the scenes here. Yeah. Um, And this song is just featureless and misguided to me. It's, It's really low. It's not in my top half. Sorry. Yeah, I also don't understand how this song reached number one on the Hot 100. I don't either. It's not poppy at all. And and it isn't good. Yeah, this this is the other one yeah, that like, I... Like, light a fire under it. Maybe you've, got a, maybe you've got a pop song, but this just is like, should we leave? <laughs> I feel like you're about to do something involving a, a rabbit with batteries, and that's fine. But I don't need to be here. This is the other one, along with Up, Up, and Away, that I just cannot get to the end. Like you just said. I'm, it's, I'm glad it wasn't just me. <clears throat> it's Brutal. the longest fucking four minutes and 21 seconds of my life. Like, what is happening? Yeah. Um. Well, I'll tell you what's happening. 
I didn't put it in my top half. Nothing. You didn't put it in your top half, and the listeners didn't either. So that's a big nothing's happening for this song. Right. And I like listen. Is American Pie overplayed? Yes. But is it clearly the best choice among these five? Also, yes. Yeah. And is it um, like a a formal innovation somewhat for this time? Yes. Yes. I even watched a really annoying hagiographic documentary about this song where Don McLean basically spends 90 minutes sucking his own dick. And I still (laughs) like this song. Yeah. (laughs) The first time I ever saw your face. It was bobbing up and down on Tom McLean's dick. Okay, you know, for kids. Now, you know, interestingly, though, the very next year, 74, Roberta Flack won again. She is the first and so far one of only two people to win this award two years in a row. And talk about night and day, Sarah. For me, her second victor, Killing Me Softly with his song, which um, I think perhaps apocryphally was written by the songwriter Lori Lieberman about listening to Don McLean. Uh-huh. But um to me this is a great song. It was great because the Fugees remade it and Lauren Hill was great. It's great on this version. I really fucking love this song and I can't believe it's by the same person who put me to sleep just one year prior. Um and she was nominated again the next year. Um but that's beyond the purview of this particular episode. Um I can believe it. I think that Roberta Flack's delivery is maybe not for pop. Um, I like Killing Me Softly. I don't love it. I've never loved it in any of its iterations. Um, I do think it's a really good build. But the competition in this year is even like it's even more baffling to me. Like, okay, the Stevie Wonder song is not my favorite but it's stevie wonder and the it's charlie a, rich yeah, song it's, it's you are just the sunshine okay. of my life is the stevie wonder song for those keeping score yeah. at home um bad bad leroy brown is a little bit like you don't have to give jim croce anything for that but you're so vain like eh. with that said uh roberta flack's instrument again i just feel like i would rather hear her doing something in a different genre um that was the problem with the previous song. The problem with this song is that it has now been ubiquitous for like three different generations. And I just kind of have nothing left for it. And both she and Lauren Hill seem like they're kind of challenging hangs who don't understand their own power and don't laugh at jokes. That and is very well said. I guarantee that- you Lauren Hill does not laugh at jokes. No, she doesn't. Um, <laughs> they don't even know what a joke is. <laughs> um, that's a shame that that was never nominated for a Grammy, but welcome to the Talking Heads Lives. Anyway, this was close. It was right on the bubble. I I felt a little awkward about forcing it down to number nine and shutting <laughs> it out, but I also felt like it wasn't going to fucking matter what I did. So this is not in my top half, technically, but I sense that everybody else covered uh covered roberta's action for me is that true roberta's spread was covered and she did (laughs) get two points from me and two points from the listeners so Mm -hmm. um while i am using the magic of math to figure out what our final eight are from this episode why don't we listen to a clip from killing me softly with his song i felt he found my letters and read each one out loud 
I mean, it's a great vocal, but I just feel like I can hear Etta James walking through the back of the studio and being like, girl, have some fun with your life. You can sing the hell off of anything you want. Smile. Girl, hit this. <laughs> okay, well, I have done the math. And Sarah, there are no ties. We have a very clear and definitive top eight from this first bracket. Meaning Great. we have eight songs that are definitely moving on to the round of 32. We have three songs that ended up with four points, which was enough to get them through. Those three okay. songs are Killing Me Softly with his song, mm-hmm. Mac the Knife, mm-hmm. and Thanks to You and Me, Theme from a Summer Place will live to find uh, do, 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 do. And then our five perfect sixes were Bridge Over Troubled Water, mm-hmm. Moon River, Mm-hmm. Mrs. Robinson, mm-hmm. It's Too Late, mm-hmm. and Aquarius Let the Sun Shine In. All right. Well, the Grammys um, made a lot of mistakes, and uh, spoiler, matters are not going to fucking improve <laughs> oh my God. in like, the next ever. section. Of, I know, literally ever. Um, but I, I think we got it right, and I am gratified that um, there weren't too many fours in the middle messing everything up that's that's a relief yes um i did want to have to go back and re-record the intro be like okay so we're doing 3.724 four points because that's the only way we can tell we've hired a statistician um, yeah um okay well that is part one uh stay tuned episode two Next week, which takes us from Olivia Newton-John's I Honestly Love You in 1975 up through the wind between between my legs. No, no, no. <laughs> up through Wind Beneath My Wings in 1990, it's going to be another terrifying roller coaster <laughs> ride with many more references to vomit. <laughs> Enjoy! <laughs> Whoa! I, I actually say... I do think that Killing Me Softly with this song could be the subtitle of this whole fucking season. (laughs) Uh, I honestly don't love you. (laughs) Whoa, no. (laughs) Whoa, no. (laughs) All right, y'all. Well, if we can pull ourselves together, we'll see you for the next episode. Indeed. Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Mark Blankenship. That's me, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. This podcast is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. And if you want to talk about songs, suggest a season theme, get a pop chart reading or customized playlist, or have a cocktail with us and your fellow listeners, then come on by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where you'll find polls, happy hours, and tons of extra episodes and content. We're also at Talk Songs on Twitter, at Mastass Everywhere on Instagram, and Mastass.podcast on Facebook. Or just email us, talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. 
All that contact info will be in our show notes. Scroll down. Hope we'll be talking about songs with you soon. Thanks for listening. You can eat a bunch of sushi, then forget to leave a tip. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.